Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of the No Small Stories podcast. This episode, Shane and I will be talking to our fellow writer and author, Sean L. Koch. Sean has a new book, Unjudgeable, that is available now, and you can find the link in the description. Do enjoy this conversation we have with him about writing and creativity and how do you cater to the masses when you still want to create the things that you love. So I hope you enjoy this conversation that Shane and I have with author Sean Koch. So thank you so much for joining us for this episode Uh of No Small Stories. I'm here with Shane, my co-host, and our guest today is Sean Koch, who is a fellow writer. And Sean, if you uh, would like to give us just a little intro to you and what what is your uh, writing, I guess, style, I would ask. Like, what, style? What, what is it that you write? Tell us about your writing. Vibe atmosphere do you produce, good sir? Yes. I, uh, I like weird stuff because I find the mainstream is just far too boring and normal and just tapid milk. I agree. So uh, I fell in love with, uh, about a decade ago, the Bizarro Movement, which is like that little shelf on the VHS back when VHS was a thing. Uh, There was all the stuff that didn't fit in other categories and they didn't know where to put it. You know, import, uh, uh, um, artistical, experimentals type of stuff. Um, Very sort of eraser head. Who am I thinking of? Who's that director? David Lynch. David Lynch. Yeah. Very, very out there and kind of um, maybe maybe tweaking people's brains just a little bit. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And it involves in the uh, surrealist, uh, magical realism, gonzo, bizarro, uh, this wide category of the strange and unusual doesn't fit into anything else. So that's what attracted me the most. But I grew up reading those, you know, 300 page sci-fi horror fantasy books that used to come out in the 80s and 90s. And then when I hit the bizarro market, everybody's like, oh, we don't do that. We only do novellas for, you know, uh, whatever pop culture thing is going on right now. So I'm I'm torn between that, you know, micro fiction progression that people are trying to do with fiction right now and old five, six hundred thousand page books back in the 80s. It's. Yeah, that's kind of, you know, as much as things like Game of Thrones or Lord of the Rings and things like that have been, you know, popular sort of in the last decade or so, they're definitely, I think with probably social media a little bit, there's a big shift into more short stories. Um, You know, people definitely don't have quite the same attention span that they used to, right? So, yeah, that is true. I mean, you don't necessarily have... um, don't always have quite the market for the longer novel type writing that that used to be right so um if you could maybe give us so like some of the things that we talk about is a little bit where the writing comes from right so you have your inspirations for that but in terms of like your own stories where would you say some of that comes from for you or what inspires you when you are creating your stories well, when I was a young warthog, I consumed a vast material of comic books, video games, movies, lots and lots of movies, mm-hmm. uh, just anything you get your hands on and weird, subjective or not subjective. What's the word? Speculative fiction, fantasy, sci fi, 
very off the wall stories that weren't just generic fiction. And I love imagination. I love I love creativity. I don't consider myself a writer because writers have to learn English and be good at it. And <laughs> I I consider myself a storyteller, which is why I do I like in, it. Like yeah. role-playing games, like Dungeon Dragons and stuff like that, but also comic books, you know, music, anything you can get your hands on and mess with is a creative atmosphere. It's artistic, it's all art, and you're expressing yourself in a way. And so when I was a very young child, I came across, or, well, young child, I think is a misnomer there, uh, about 11 or so, so that's what, junior high? It it gets to be younger and younger as the years go on, right? Mm -hmm. Like, Yeah, yeah. (laughs) The further away you get from uh, it, the younger you think it is. Yeah. There's a book (laughs) called Operation Chaos. Uh, I can't. I have it on my shelf. I can't remember the author, but it was about a a uh, a witch and a werewolf have to ride a magic carpet to fight Nazis, and the devil hates them, so it abducts their child, and they have to go into hell and rescue their child. And I was like, you know, ten, eleven, and I just this was far outside the concepts of what fiction was. I was, was gonna say that's a, that's already a heck of a premise right there. I I am not familiar with it myself. Yeah. Right. But- that's a lot of different uh, elements as far as, you know, supernatural and magical and a little bit of religion in there. So definitely kind of an amalgamation of a lot of different concepts. It was the author was Paul Anderson, by the way, it was known as a sci-fi okay. writer. Okay. But uh, yeah, that and uh, Dragon on a Pedestal by Piers Anthony. And that convinced me I needed to write for a living. That was what I wanted to do since what... 1991 or 92 i love it that's you know it's kind of funny i i when i was younger and i was writing it was kind of more and i you know shane and i sort of talked about this it was more of a therapeutic sort of thing more of kind of expressing emotions trying to get out some of that teen angst trying to sort of do some self-analysis um but definitely where i am currently in my writing it's definitely the imagination definitely the sort of amuse thyself first kind of principle you know if i think it's fun if i think it's enjoyable then i'll write it and i'll create a story because it's something fun for me um so i do love that kind of angle to just that it's you know wanting to do it for the fun of it wanting to do it for the for purely for the creation of it you know uh, i do love that do you find any of that to be therapeutic to you, though, in, in a sense, do you find uh, that, you know, that self-expression as being something that is an outlet to some extent? Uh, oh, certainly. Mm-hmm. Oh, certainly. Because you you got to understand a lot of characters are really just reenacting your own traumas. You take all your baggage and you just pour it in the stories and then they suffer it. and You don't. And it's <laughs> a relief process. And you and you don't now. Uh, how much? How much do you really believe in that part of it that you don't? <laughs> if you yeah, just okay. give it away to your characters. <laughs> well, I to to be honest, I went through a period of Zen Buddhism where I came to terms and a lot of psychedelics, but I don't need to get into that. But it was able <laughs> to empty out the closet, so to speak, and my issues really have been cleansed from my internal systems. Right now, every issue I have is money, which <laughs> economically, not a yeah. good situation. That's small potatoes, right? No big deal. 
<laughs> yeah, like right, right. We haven't been able to do laundry in the last two weeks just because bills piled up. Food is getting more expensive, and it's just the frustrating banalities of the small tasks of domestic life have consumed me. And I don't worry about the emotional stuff anymore. The traumas. I mean, I'm I'm 40, so I'm I'm well past the development stage of the 20s and 30s where you exercise your demons. Uh, <laughs> however. I will say that uh, my writing, I think a lot of the writing has come down now to dad jokes. I come <laughs> up with a ridiculous pun, and then I go to extreme lengths to figure out how to turn that into a story. <laughs> I like it. Use that dad humor. No, uh, and you know, I think... Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> no, you go. Oh, I just wondering if you ever thought about writing um, just like comic strips as just either uh, sort of a way to you know, some self-expression, but also, uh, you know, a way to get kind of some of your stuff out there in smaller in smaller packages until it kind of, uh, you know, sticks somewhere if that if that worked. Because I would I would love that. I would love reading. You know, we've had kind of the same comic strips for like, right, like 50 years. And it'd be nice to <laughs> see something, uh, you know, better, uh, you know, digestible in a, I don't know, in a more quality aspect so <laughs> no that's definitely true i mean you you've seen the same comic comic strips for uh since i was a kid at least and then long before that so you know maybe that certainly there would be a, a space and an audience for you i'm sure in terms of, of having something that's a little bit more out there a little bit more zany uh and definitely you know who doesn't love dad humor i think we all appreciate dad humor right right yeah <laughs> So in, in 2016, I got picked up by Eraserhead Press, which is a small group out of Portland, Oregon, and I put out a bizarro novel called Crime of the Scene, which I don't want to get into the, the things going on at the time, the atmosphere, the politics, et cetera, et cetera. But for some reason, my book vanished and disappeared. They never gave me any money out of it. They never gave me any reason why the book vanished off the market. But the book was about a a detective goes to a scene of a crime and inside that scene is another scene of another crime and he digs into deeper and deeper the crimes of history and humanity and metaphysics and all the crimes of humanity itself so it goes through every crime imaginable in history and digging into the root of what makes us as people that's very interesting kind of a uh, exploration of human consciousness uh, and right. to a certain extent via true crime or well not true crime necessarily but you know that sort of um that vein of uh that genre i guess you would say i that there was a lot of uh, terrence mckenna involved in writing that book that's all right i so you know that is something that i we certainly understand as writers uh, trying to get your your stuff out there trying to find a way to how do you get how do you get this whole creative life to be something you can do full time and still support yourself and certainly that is a, a you know a challenge i think that we're all facing but i do think that you know this kind of conversation and having these conversations with other creatives it is something that can be yeah very helpful very useful in terms of even just idea brainstorming like you know Shane having the idea of a, of a comic strip sort of idea and and sort of how do you you know again people's attention spans are different now than they used to be and certainly i think that if there was a way for you to like put something like that together and and maybe just have even a patreon page where you just post 
uh, you know, your comics, a couple of, a couple of them a week, just little short things. Um, and I just, you know, I'm so in a space of trying to be positive in terms of like, there has to be a way there's an audience out there for everyone. Right. And, and certainly for the more sort of zany, um, out there kind of things. I think that there's more of an appetite for that now than maybe they want to believe. Well, and talking to other artists too, it's it's nice to have this conversation of what, um, you know, what we feel as, as artists that we need in, you know, in our lives and what's, um, what other people need uh, and what's lacking, you know, maybe even in, in society is, is kind of nice to have that conversation. So um, I guess that's a question too, Sean. So um, yeah, I mean, just in your, in your writing, I mean, I think, yeah, all writers a little bit have, have something where it's like, okay, I'm adding to the, you know, the, the collection, the atmosphere of, of everything. Right. And we talk about saturation and how, you know, sometimes bad it is, sometimes how great it is, right. You can find everything and everything is, is available, but right. It, it makes it a bit overwhelming. Uh, so when you bring something to the table, you always kind of want it to be, okay, something, all right, I'm giving, I'm giving back something. We kind of talked about that in the last podcast where it's like, you bring something at least new or valuable, um, at least whether it's in your life or, or, or somebody else's that uh, could be relatable. Um, so I guess that's a question. It's like, what, what do you think people need to read? Like, you know, and how it relates to, to what you write or how it relates to the stories that you make. That's a, that's a good, fine question. Analysis paralysis has uh, completely destabilized because the market of available things digitally means that there's too much to choose from. So you look for stuff that is not just the same thing being repeated over and over again, stuff that's unique or flavorful or atmosphere or, or it comes along with an artist's touch that makes it something that other people are not doing. Most of the big names, especially in film, are people who have a very specific visual style that sells the story to people. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know what I would, I would consider my, my touch is usually a combination of horror and comedy. Mm -hmm. And so I, I mix up things like, no, I don't want to say hybrid. Highbrow is horrible to use as a word. Uh, uh, David Foster Wallace type books where it's just massive tomes of these, giant stories but then toned down to you know like b films and and splatter stuff and very uh, uh sensationalized sort of um not grindhouse was this exploitation films of the 70s mixing these different parts of culture media together in this uh uh oh what's it called when you mix a bunch of collage yeah uh, collage of what are the various parts because i i put in storytelling stuff that's very lowbrow humor very you know like stupid and silly but also stuff that's very intellectual and very uh at a high degree and then blend them together in a way that is encompassing the experience of people experiencing what is life at a base level biologically we experience you know very banal stuff you know everybody goes right. to the bathroom yeah but then you mix in like, well, what about multi-theory, dimensional, you know, uh, uh, illusion, simulation, all that kind of big theory stuff that's hit the mainstream lately. And you blend those two together. So you keep it human, but you also mm -hmm. explore realms that are higher up. Gotcha. I don't know. That sounded like a politician answer. I didn't actually uh, give an answer there. No, no I, I think that's like, 
Awesome. Um, I think, I mean, you have that, you have that disruption factor that I think is, um, it's sort of naturally present in like human experience anyway. Um, you know, I always think of, of horror films anyway, where it's basically like, you know, like 40, you know, 40% like porn, you know, on some, you know, and yeah. then another, another good percentage of, you know, whether you got the slasher or whether it's a thriller or whatever else. Um, yes, yeah, some, some comedy, but, but it all, it all rolls into basically human experience because you can't be serious all the time. You can't be, you know, humor all the time. You can't laugh all the time. There's, there's this up and down, even within a given, you know, minute. I, uh, one of the books I recently read a couple months ago was, was, uh, all quiet on the Western front. And that's, um, you know, about, uh, you know, world war one. And Fantastic that book. is one of my favorite books. Yep. Yeah. And it's so, you know, it's the, it's a similar experience where it's, you know, it's essentially, okay, these dudes are at war. So, you know, you have the overarching, you know, what, <laughs> you know, what good is war um, mm -hmm. and uh, why people are fighting it in the first place and all this stuff. Right. But then you have actually the, the people that are doing the fighting, the soldiers, whatever, and they've got to go back to the front line in like five minutes. Right. But they all are at the latrine, like taking a shit, like trying to like figure out how to like connect to each other and sort of like, you know, calm down like before they have to go know, back out into the shit and the exactly. realness. Like, so, yeah they're trying to find their humanity for like you know a split second before they have to before they have to go and like you know murder somebody else you know and it's just um it's it's a crazy experiment uh and, and trying to dig into all of that is a very cool um very cool thing you're doing so I do like that too, the idea of incorporating, um, you know, ideas of the multiverse. Obviously, that's something that I do in my writing. I know that you've listened to to my podcast um, and uh, my fictional podcast. And I really do love the idea of sort of being a part of that shift in human consciousness, I think, to some degree, going from like where we have been, maybe an all quiet on the Western front, the war the the you know really sort of base level primitive sort of instincts of humanity and and really sort of trying to shift out of that kind of even though that's fiction um you know shifting out of out of that space where we have been as humanity and into a space of looking at possibilities looking at you know the multiverse the idea of of there being other dimensions, the idea of there being parallel realities and, and playing with imagination, playing with what could we really create as humans? If we got ourselves out of those trenches, right. Mm -hmm. of, of all the banal human things of all the, the fighting over resources and being so concerned and so consumed by the, the material needs, right. Of a human that we have, if we had the ability to get out of that survival mode space, Right. What could you really create and and exploring, exploring that in imagination and exploring the bigger possibilities that there are outside of this, again, sort of human survival mm. mode that I think that a lot of us are trying to find our way out of, you yeah. know, especially as creatives. But I do think that that is something really great to offer in terms of. Again, like Shane said, you know, adding value, and that's something that. I, I do think does add value as as a creative, as a writer. It's something that you offer up as perspective, as you know. Okay, fine. Here's this. Here, here's horror, and here's this. You know, kind of element of human experience of of the fearful nature that we as humans are kind of ingrained and encouched in fear, right? 
but then but then here's maybe something that's a little bit more fun here's something comedic here's some relief in that space that that can be added and and can you use that relief as a bridge into again these other more broad sort of expansive ideas so i do love that i think that that's really great as as a as a fellow writer and creative i do love exploring that space yeah i just uh talked with a <laughs> A friend the other day uh and i told him he's a big um horror film guy loves him um and so we just kind of got started talking on some of the the recent recent horror films that we liked and had some disagreements or whatever else it, it's hard for me to like find a good like scary movie nowadays i'm always mining all the streaming services and i'm almost always disappointed so um but we were talking about the first time that i realized uh soundtrack dissonance um was with a movie that I saw probably about six months ago. And I'm like, this is not, this is deliberate, right? This is a deliberate effect that is going on right now. This is happy music during a very violent or, you know, mm -hmm. disturbing scene. I'm like, okay, this has to be done on purpose. What is this called? And so I, you know, researched it. And yeah, it's a similar thing. It's it's uh, coupling all these different emotions because you don't have them in a vacuum, right? You have them one thing triggers another right and uh and i'm just enveloping all of that is a is a super cool idea I, I did have a question for you sean too um when it comes to you know i grew up with uh siblings that read lord of the rings that read these kind of big epics uh these big books you know long works of, of fantasy and fiction and and sci-fi too uh but I, i've noticed that a lot of people sometimes because they are so used to being grounded in sort of a a realistic background or or setting whether that's history or or not but like a physical place a real a real place that they can ground the story sometimes going into a story especially a larger piece of work with a you know with a realm or a setting that's completely fantastical or made up or fiction becomes exhausting because now it's not only the story that they have to imagine throughout the, um, you know, throughout the telling of it, it's, it's the entire universe. It's the entire background that they kind of have to like keep together. So for those people that are, you know, obviously wanting to broaden their, uh, their expanse in, in reading, but do feel intimidated or do feel like exhausted sometimes by these, by these types of stories, what's something that they could, you know, kind of dip in or maybe try to keep in mind, um, you know, as they're kind of getting into that stuff, because I think that's part of it, right? It's also, you know, w while we're um, while we're conceding that people need to read these kind of stories or whatever else, right? We also have to sign up, you know, sort of give them kind of a, you know, a helpline as well to to pull them in because some aren't going to be, you know, ready for it. Well, let me put on my. Professor Glasses, uh, the introductory of a person to a narrative first is driven by character because people can relate to people. This person has needs, mm -hmm. desires, wants. So you lead with the character and through the character's perception of their world, what they accept as normal. Uh, there's a lot of big tentpole uh, um, ent enterprises, I would use the word. Like Harry Potter, for example, not that far off from reality, but everything right. in this world has to be introduced 
to young children at a step-by-step tutorial. So they take them through the world. This is what this is. This is what that is. And they introduce it in very slow increments to by the time you get to the fourth or fifth book, you've already established this linguistic narrative of things that aren't part of our world, but are now just naturally part of the world that you're used to reading the story. And I think as much as I I disagree with a lot of the flack that surrounds Harry Potter and all the nonsense that the creator is up to, the reality is that that was a successful story for a reason. It was built, all those books were built in a way where you, you introduce people to a magic world in a way that they can comprehend, which is bite size by bite size, in a way that fits the character's narrative arc and what's important to them. You're dealing, of course, with school children. So what's important to them is just going to class and dealing with other kids. But other others like writers in these kind of giant, massive, otherworldly storytellings, uh Narnia or uh the Lord of the Rings, Lord of the Rings, I don't I don't know if I would count because he's he's a professor who's just going to introduce you to a, a completely alien world. He just right. built he built like Elvish languages and he's just like, "Let me write a story around that." Yeah. Cuz <laughs> his love's in, his love was linguistics. I love linguistics yeah. too. But yeah. it's not going to introduce most people easily into a world visually in like film and stuff. You have the you have the alleviating expressions of imagery to coax people into a reality that they don't quite recognize sure. as our reality. And so that that you could just drop people in the deep end, you know, some mm-hmm. weird surreal film that doesn't make sense, but you love what's going on in it. With writing, you're stuck to the elements of the word choices and how those are introduced and, and expressed to the reader. But again, the driver of the story is people wanting things and going to do those things. And as long as the people are are driven by the basic things that we're driven as, you know, food, hunger, shelter, et cetera. And then up of that art, uh, learning, joy, happiness, all those various, uh, uh, um, I'm really kidding. What's the uh, freaking, I'm going to sputter. My brain's just going to sputter here. Oh no, Uh, that's all right. Pavlovian responses to Mm -hmm. our basic instinctual needs. Then yes, you drive them through those you very human, intimate. Uh, I don't want to primitive is a got too much flack for it as word. Uh, visceral human experience, and then you slowly uh, spoon feed the elements until you've established a world that they're already wrapped up in. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. I think yeah, character character forward is um, yeah the most important, especially. For me, like when I think about just like the suspension of, you know, belief, um, right. Whenever you read a book, right. You're okay. So I'm, I'm dedicating myself to like, whatever's in this book, this world, whatever I'm suspending all the outside to, um, to dedicate, uh, you know, whatever this book is about, but, you know, and Harry Potter granted, you know, was probably, you know, tailored and, and put more forward for, you know, kids and teens or whatever. And I, I have to, uh, I guess I just have to acknowledge that some books, either being adult or otherwise, are not gonna not gonna make it easy for me. You're not gonna make it easy for the reader. Sometimes I think of like Kurt Vonnegut. And while I love his stories and his writing is cool, um when I start each book, I am right, I'm trying to make connections and associations to like outside of the book. And like a lot of times I'm just like, okay, I can't. I just have to like follow like what's in the book and just try to like parcel it together 
you know, with within that. Um, and that's a, that's a good uh, way to look at it, though, is just kind of follow the character, um, knowing, getting in touch with the character and, and knowing what the character needs and where they're going uh, and the rest will kind of fall into place. Or, you know, setting is, it's great, but it is secondary, right, to that, to really what the, the character is doing in the story. Anyway, you can still get a bulk you know, um, value and quality out of the out of the story if you just follow the character, even if you don't even know what the setting is. So, so next month I am tracked to release my next book. Uh, problem is I don't have any real community or base or following. I don't know how to sell. I don't know how to advertise. So it's a, you know trying to get some sort of success out of the work. But the work is called Unjudgeable. And it takes place, uh, it doesn't state a time, but theoretically about the year 3000 after the final war has destroyed the planet. And the only remaining civilization is Wald Streets, which is the Walmart family takes everybody uh -huh. in and makes them basically uh, serfs in a sort of, uh, uh, what's it? not serfdom, feudal sort of servitude where the masses serve the rich people floating in their little sky yachts above the city. And they don't know what's in the old world because everything's been forgotten and lost. So they take a group of archaeologists, although they're not called archaeologists, they're called fanthropologists because they're fanboy anthropologists, and they send them across the ocean into the remains of the old world to look for uh, remnants that will tell them the history of what happened that caused the final war. So they're going on this voyage to the what they believe was the Kardashian. Kardashian Empire's embassy called the Kmart, where the Kardashians, uh, you know, took over and served all their uh, products to people. And they have to travel through the wasteland with these tracking guides uh, that goes through the territory of the tribal primitive cults of the Juggalos, whose carnival of mad clowns throwing hatchets and going whoop whoop chases them. Uh, I, I love this already, just the number of pop culture things that you have right. been able to incorporate in, into the, you know, the and very real sort of hierarchy that we experience currently economically. Uh -huh. <laughs> it's built on misunderstanding. Everything is like anybody, one of us would go, no, that's wrong. Like what, like they find ramen and they're like, oh, early primitive cultures built their trade off of trading ramen to each other. They, they built their houses out of it. That's how they in, in <laughs> censored in the masses and turned them into a, you know, a servitude is uh, they ate ramen packets. And then, so they, they go through that. They go through a territory of the, the furries, which are the, the descendants of people who worship the furry culture and now just live in their fursuits and like stitch talons <laughs> into their hands. Uh, I it's, love it's horrible. It. And it's brutal and it's gory and it's nasty. And they get to the, they, they're led and saved by at some point, the magic or technology had released television into reality. And a famous television judge walks out and is basically clint eastwood uh it's got a doily around she's got a doily around her neck and she's like don't pee on my leg and call it raining and uh, <laughs> yeah yeah i can't say the name for legal reasons but the lady <laughs> sure. in black robes with her two pistols shows up and murders everything and then has speed loaders on her belt and is smoking a fat cigar. And she's like, oh, fine, I'll lead you stupid kids across the wasteland. So she takes them to the Kmart where they find the most 
complicated pun joke I've ever created in which the Nazi offshoot goes into the Anasazi and the Anazi and becomes the uh, Anazis and are basically a, a <laughs> feminist cult of spider children who by the time they turn and hit puberty, all these girls just basically turn into spiders and like mandibles break through their skin. And I love it. This is wild. This is, I, you know, listen, you need to have a following because someone would absolutely make this into like the most insane animated Rick and Morty movie. It would be fantastic. So, so then that leads them. So the, the Kmart is run by those people and they find magazines and they're like, you know, us, uh, people time all those like the trashy garbage stuff you find on the grocery store stands yeah and anthropologists these anthropologists are like oh these are uh you know classic relics of the historians who tell us about the great bieber and his his believer <laughs> cult of and there's believer <laughs> nuns show up and oh they have tr- they have crucifix chainsaws with like justin bieber crucified on them <laughs> and they're going baby 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 oh as they slash through people with their giant chainsaws this i i can see this <laughs> film happening already yeah, right? i love this yeah. it's fantastic uh, it's, it's- it's very much in tune with the 90s like action adventure like escape from New York sort of you have to travel through a dangerous place and there's like over the top violence and action and the heroes right. make it out the other side but it is an absurdly I don't want to say splatterpunk because it's not grotesque in the descriptions of how it attaches to the blood and gore and visceral remnants of what goes on but it is definitely an adult book mm-hmm. it is definitely absurd and it misunderstands everything about our culture because I think that when we are gone a thousand years from now, what is seen is going to be viewed in a very different way than we know it by whatever culture discovers it. Right. That's very true. And I, you know, it's kind of interesting to think a little bit about, okay, you know, how do we as current society look upon the, you know, our own archaeology and the things that we've done up? Yeah looking at, you know, even, you know, the pyramids in Egypt, for example, how, you know, how outrageously are we misinterpreting things? And, and, right. and, and you know, isn't it interesting? You know, I, I do love this idea because obviously these people that you have going through this story very much are believe that they are correct in their interpretations, right? Because everything is from their own personal frame of reference. And they think that that's enough to extrapolate and, and get a correct sense of what they're looking at. And as, as we are the ones, you know, currently who know what Newsweek is, who know who the Kardashians are and who have an understanding of it, it seems outrageous and ridiculous, but doesn't that open up your mind a little bit, you know, again, in the sense of adding value to society through your writing and and even as, as outrageous as it might be, doesn't that give you such a, a open your mind to the idea that, well, we might be just as outrageously wrong about our own human past and our own human history that that we look at through the lens of archaeology, through the lens of what, you know, these theories that these scientists give us. It, could we potentially be, you know, grossly inaccurate about what it is that we're looking at and in, in, in terms of how those people did actually view their own reality in terms of what it actually meant to them like that's a fascinating idea to me i really love it that's what we don't understand about like greeks is that they lived that that wasn't mythology to them they 
they saw that as everyday life. But I took a college course in anthropology and fell in love with it, linguistical mm-hmm. anthropology specifically. But the idea of how we view the past and how we understand cultures is is a fascinating concept. And then and for about a decade, I worked in television and I was bombarded by ads and pop culture and behind the scenes TV and lots and lots of a specific television judges show. Oh, really? Very interesting. You know, and I, I, so I think that we've talked about that a little bit before, Sean, you and I, the idea of, uh, you know, like you said, it's, it's called programming for a reason with TV and, and things are made to be, you know, those jingles are made to be catchy and stick in your head. It's made to be something that is ingrained in you. And, and I think it is traveler said the hook brings you back. That's absolutely <laughs> correct. Yes. And, and it's, um, that, uh, what, what is that? It's like a three chord thing that comes from Pachelbel's canon. Oh, and there's, it's, there's, there's so many video songs. Yeah. The, uh, um, something axis of, uh, awesome or whatever. It's a band where they do the four, the three chord progression song and they show you how right. every song is just the same exact three chord progression. Right. Just, and, <laughs> and yeah, but I do, again, it, it, it's a, as much as I understand that what they're doing is showing like sort of the lack of creativity in the way that things sort of follow that same progression. I like to look at it as, well, isn't that kind of amazing the way that humans can take something that is one thing and extrapolate it out into so many different things and be so creative in the way that they change it just enough to make it something their own and make it something different. Right. And, and, you know, again, from the perspective of, of us as artists, like that has to be something that is a little bit of a, um, a a glimmer of hope I guess you would say that as much as anything that you might write about as much as anything that you do may have a similar flavor to this that or the other thing you know you talk about saturations of the market as much as that might be something that is true there is also that element of even if we all have the same base three chords you can make Um, so much from it that can be so uniquely yours that can so uniquely touch other people and reach other people and build an audience and that there is that space for you whatever is your particular flavor there is an audience out there for you there has to be right and and so i i do love that kind of say what one can hope yeah no i do i i do believe that i do you know i mean listen there's billions of people on this planet there's no possible way that there's not at least a few thousand uh, you know hundred thousand really that would that would be interested in your work and interested in what you do and and find a a chord that they can resonate with in in what you do one of three chords at least yeah Yeah, absolutely (laughs) in a very specific progression yeah I love it. The the tools, the tools long ago discovered of what people, what impacts people the most. What's the, I call the lizard reptilian brain is that there, there are things in storytelling and things in music and stuff that are very impactful to people. And Hollywood well knows how to use those tools to draw people in. I mean, they are just pumping out endless stuff to hit their quotas or the budgets and i i think the whole hollywood schemes a money laundering scam but the point is That's is fair. that they're, they're using these proven techniques that psychologists have developed in labs that people have tested over years but they're not telling interesting stories with them mm-hmm. because at the heart you still have to approach what is the human condition why we do certain things the things we want and tell those stories but they're on this uh like my my publisher by the way is uh he was one of those occupy vegas guys 
So he's just, you know, like, oh, it's the capitalist system and we need to be down with the get rid of the bourgeois and uh, we need to bring anarchy to the masses. And like when we produce the book and we're going to sell it, he, I'm like, well, you know, we have to do advertising. We have to get this out there. We have to get people interested in the product because all you need is like one million people to give you a dollar and you're a millionaire. Right exposure we need to hit the markets and he's like no it needs to be like those avant-garde underground things we just release it hope people find it and only the cool kids will find it and i'm like that's not a business strategy but you're burying my book before it gets out there yeah yeah. he's he's not a businessman he's really great with uh very out there psychedelic type of stuff and editing and doing the english part of it making the book look nice and getting great art for us and stuff he just doesn't have the ability to move the books because he believes the capitalist system is against the man or is the man against us you know i think like it's kind of one of those things though you kind of have to draw the elements that you need so he's if, if he's helpful in actually getting the book created itself then you know good deal and and continue to allow whatever opportunities come to to find a way to get it out there i do like that concept We'll do our best for you. I mean, we'll put the yeah, we're gonna put the sure. podcast out, and we'll absolutely share all your links where you have your. So do send that all to me, your your Amazon links and all that, so that we can share where your book's gonna be posted and where people can get it. Um, yeah. Definitely, part of what we want to do in terms of adding value to this creative community is to be able to help people have an outlet to to get your your information out there somehow, some way. But I do really love um, going back to what you were saying about Hollywood and how there is a very specific formula. Um, and it, it is based on psychology. It is based on what does work as much as I, I think that that is true. And it kind of to tie in, you know, Shane and I had a conversation about AI and chat GPT. At some point, the algorithm doesn't function enough. It, you know, at some point, the proven formula that you continuously use over and over is not enough for an audience. It's not enough for people anymore. And I do think that that is a space that we're in right now uh, that people are looking for something more genuine something with more human passion and feeling and 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 creativity put into it you know that that is an element that is missing to to a great degree from the mainstream entertainment that we have and so as much as you know sure you might be avant-garde you might be something that previously would have been considered the things that you might find underground and only so many people would know about I do think, again, that there is such a a space now where people are looking for that. People are seeking that out because they are tired of the algorithm. They are tired of being told what they're supposed to like. And they're tired of being told that, you know, this is the film formula and, and, and the characters you're supposed to like. And this is who you're supposed to root for or what have you. I think that there are more people looking a bit for that juxtaposition kind of thing, the seeing a horrific scene with the happy music behind it. Maybe not necessarily that specific thing, but something different, something more in connection to the human experience, something that te- that that really reaches and connects with people in a way that the the overarching sort of algorithmic formulaic sort of creativity just does not strike a chord with people in in the same way like yeah you can certainly create a soundtrack that is meant to you know get you excited at the right moments make you fearful in the right moments you know make you experience the emotions that are useful to the franchise so to say right 
but yeah. there there's the element of true human experience the element of true human creativity and and passion and uniqueness is missing from that so i do think that as much as it might not you know you might it might seem like something that is in the underground type space but i do think that there's absolutely room for it to come out into the light because i think people are looking for it yeah that's true also people just want to have fun and you always got to keep that in mind that is heady and as experimental and strange you also have to make something that's entertaining mm -hmm. yeah for sure, we we do we do need that. We do need some release and escape. And and the longer that I stay, like you know, in the entrepreneurial mindset sort of thing, um, you know, I always used to think that marketing and selling was like yeah, bad and superficial and you know, capitalist, you know, pig. And and while you know, capitalism is its own discussion, right? Um, you know, on as a whole, not necessarily a bad thing, but obviously, any unregulated system to a point is is terrible, right? Like I believe capitalism can work, but it does need a cap, right? At some mm -hmm. point, you know, billionaires and, and you know, high millionaires and whatever else should be given back to the society that they're profiting from. Right? That just makes sense. Um, but, you know, the more that I, I kind of dig into what it is to be, you know, an entrepreneur or whatever else, right? You know, it's it's been brought to my attention, the idea of like what selling is, you know, and that we are constantly selling ourselves anyway like we are putting out personas we're putting things that we want people either to agree with or that we want community with or, or whatever else and um there's this book that i mean to read but it's called to, to sell as human um by daniel pink um and it, it looks like a really interesting book but essentially it's, it's the same thing it's like if you believe in yourself and if you believe in your work or if you believe the the message that you're putting out there you are selling it in a, in a certain in a certain light and so to, to be okay with that to be okay with with marketing what you think is valuable to market to the the world what you think it needs that's that's an okay you can still cast nets but they're not nets meant to you know catch you and bring you in and you know chop off your fish heads they're meant to you know bring you in as a community right they're mm -hmm. meant to you know, cast nets to find community and that that's an okay way of of doing it and thinking about it you know so well, I, I remember a quote somebody once said that said, if if you find a product that's free, then you are the product. Right. <laughs> because somebody's paying for it and you're, you're uh, putting yourself into that product becomes why, the, why they're giving it to you for free. Mm -hmm. uh, which like a lot of the free stuff, microtransactions, all that. But to, to step back, as, as much as people argue over the ideologies of, you know, what system will work or what way of human life, the, the bottom line is I have a kid to feed. I, yeah, I have right. to put food on the table. I have to pay bills and I can't just go live in a dumpster and I don't have a field to crawl in and just sleep. Mm -hmm. So I, I want enough to be able to just seclude myself away from the crazy society that has taken over this world and just yep. have a nice little uh, farm or something with some right. trees to just sit down and write all day. And that's if I have to go whatever, sell this product or write whatever is trending on yada yada. I, I have to do what I have to do to to for my own survival for because I don't, you know, have I have a problem with just making sure like clothes, food, mm. basic things that people take for granted. And I'm not part of that system that is selling people 
on uh, new startups or IPs or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, coastal city with their uh, giant skyscrapers, nobody living in them, and the streets just filled with homeless tents and trash bags and stuff. And I don't, I don't want any. That's why I moved out here for the first reason is because right. you know like out where i'm living currently i drive by cornfields and that is not something that i experienced on the coastal city there you don't have cornfields out there yeah. you don't just find a, a a field of cows randomly next to suburbia and i'm i don't like the ideological arguments because people spend so much time tearing each other apart over these hypothetical fantasy concepts right. of reality mm-hmm. when the base level is that you have to eat and sleep and deal with a very uh physical reality and yeah. you know right now the economy is not very good for all that but all i need to be happy and to sell books is just a quiet place to write and spend time with my family and i'm not asking for a mansion i don't want a yacht or anything I just wish I could get enough people to enjoy the stuff, stupid stuff I write. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, no. I mean, I was just going to say that, you know, I think that we're all kind of in that space, whether you're a creative, a writer, an entrepreneur, an artist, that we're all just looking for the freedom to do the things that we love to do. It, not necessarily for the sake of the Ferrari and the mansion and the Kardashian lifestyle and the what that looks like, but for the sake of, having the space to express yourself regularly to live in your highest joy regularly and not have to spend so much of your time, you know, giving, giving your 40 hours a week away to someone who is exchange, you know, in exchange for such a very, you know, limited uh, ability to support yourself. And so I, I do think that, you know, again, that's kind of part of what we want to do with this podcast is to try to create a space, a community where, people can have an opportunity to be found to, you know, meet the people they're supposed to meet, find the audience they're supposed to find. Because I I am someone who does absolutely believe that whatever it is that you have to create, you would not have the desire to create it if there was not someone out there who needed to receive it. You know, there's there's a transaction of a vibration somewhere where it's, you know, (laughs) it's it's necessary, (laughs) but you know, yeah, just, you know, same thing. It's like, you have to give yourself grace and um you know sometimes that phrase is cliche and cringy to me and other days i'm like you know what all right i need to like Mm -hmm. really just lean into that phrase but i think of like giving yourself grace when it comes to the lifespan that you have right it's just you know especially being connected globally um I, i talked to Haley about this last time where it's like you feel like every every tragedy and every suffering and conflict is on your shoulders because you know about it, right? And you can't, you can't unknow about it and you can't do anything about it. And so you feel just that, you know, that thing. But then, yeah, you, you also have to live within your means and you have to live within the society that you're born into that you really can't change. You can't go out and just, you know, take, take some land and, and have the idyllic, you know, cabin and, and grow your own food. You can't, that's not possible for most of us anymore. So within your lifespan, um, you know, unless the revolution starts tomorrow, in which case, right, I'm always ready for, you know, some some action, like, unless we all band together and we change it now, um, you know, right in my lifespan, in the next 50 years when I'm active, you know, how much can I, you know, diminish racism? How much can I, you know, do all these things that I, I would love to do and, and write and make a difference and make a name for myself? Um, and I've got the highest hopes, right? But again, at the end of the day, 
you just want to make sure that you are enjoying the day that you have, right? And if you have kiddos, right, enjoying it that you have mm -hmm. with your kiddos. And um, yeah, the idea is not to give those 40 hours away because you only have so many of those hours and to not give them to something that doesn't care about. Right. So. Oh, that's absolutely. Have you ever heard of the Dunbar number? I don't think I so. So there's a, the, uh, I don't want to biologist, psychologist, whatever, who was examining monkey brains. They found that the emotional attachment that uh, biological creatures have is limited inside the brain capacity to a certain number where you can emphasize and and um, uh, not to give an emotional connection to mm -hmm. a certain amount of people, but your brain runs out of capacity past that people. And mm -hmm. he, he came up with the number 150 in his studies, but it's when you reach, you say you're like, these people next to me are important. I have emotional investment. I care about them. And then once you get past this number, everything out of that is like white static. It's why zombie movies are popular yeah. because you can emphasize with the person next to you. You can't emphasize with a random person across the world because you don't know them and you don't have an emotional connection. And right. so our brains have this, this, uh, capacity that we reach and everything out of that starts to be not people yeah we, we can't form emotional connection that's just our our, our software and hardware the software runs fine and we come up with all these ideas how we want to be in you know emotionally connected to how many people are there eight billion are we up to seven and a half at this point on the planet yeah yeah well, that's i'm just not a not a shitty person it's just it's literally how many people i think i can directly help <laughs> the capacity of your brain to consider them as a person and have an emotional connection reaches a limit and everything right. else becomes the crowd and yeah. you can't really connect to the crowd and it's not it's not that you don't want to help them we want to help all these people but mm -hmm. when we put into our lives a device in our day-to-day -day functions that feeds us an endless stream of information from all, all over the planet and theoretically all over the cosmos mm -hmm. means that we are not physically capable of, mm -hmm. of, of interacting with that without a detriment to our own health. And I think I'm a personally, I see transhumanism is the step that's going to come beyond because everything that came up to people was the evolution of biology and, and culture and stuff like that. And we think that there's, I love this writer, Daniel Quinn, who goes on about this Ishmael series. Yeah. That, Ishmael. Yes. yes. <laughs> okay. books. I've, yeah. Everybody I talked to like, I have no idea what that is. Down so if you know other culture. <laughs> yes. And yes. he's like, you know, like, look, we came up to this point. We said, we stopped. This is good enough. This is all it is. There's nothing yeah. after that. And we were like, no, biology is going to evolve past that stage to a point where theoretically our Dunbar number increases, where we can create more emotional attachments, where physically we can bypass the body through everything from what I believe will be uh, 3D printed biology genetic things where you're like, oh, I need a new arm and you just print a new arm and graft it onto mm -hmm. your body or cybernetics, which everybody's like, you know, the AI revolution and mm -hmm. the cyber and the fear of technology is is scary so we don't want to go down that road because we've seen enough you know terminator terminator movies. yeah that's not going to yeah. go well for anybody but that step is going to be coming to us whether we want it or not whether it's a biological mutation sort of thing where we develop psychic children with six arms or whether it's we digitize our 
I have, a, I have a pitch for a book. I'm sorry to like rant on because you got, no, go got me woke on a Sunday. I was sleepy at first. I, have <laughs> right. a, I want to put out called uh, uh, Daniel was a rental about everybody lives inside of a server. They're all digital people <laughs> and they rent these bodies and they go into them and then they go out into the physical world. And it's going to be like one of those buddy comedies adventures where they get lost in the woods sort of thing. And they, they like six friends hop into a body and they take it into the physical world and they get lost in like hillbilly land. <laughs> oh Lord, that's gonna be that'll be interesting. But yeah, I... that concept that we can preserve our minds into digital structures is it may inevitably come and society may diverge to the biological mutant people and the people who have all put themselves into you know artificial intelligence. I yeah. so oh sorry, oh, go ahead. No, well, I just, I just... I... <laughs> Uh, okay, all right, we're going to go quick. All right, um, I'm just glad, Sean, that you brought up uh, Ishmael. I was going to bring it up um, earlier if you didn't. Uh, for anybody out there, Ishmael by Daniel Quinn, um, it was one of the books that really, like, opened me up to thinking about stuff differently and and, and mother culture in, in the way that we do. And I think, especially now, uh, you know, just with the planet uh, so much in disarray and all these things, um, we are starting to think outside of our own species, which is, like, super important at, at this at this phase of the game so he um let's give you kind of a little uh you know click into it it just um so he talks about the jellyfish so if you would talk to a jellyfish a jellyfish would think that the world started with the jellyfish because that's its own like group and species right so just like we think as humans like the world started with us like the world is all about us and made for us and whatever else we have dominion that's what every species thinks Right. But we've gotten to a point where as humans, like, it's like now we should be evolved enough and progressed enough to know better and that we should help all these other things like get to the same level eventually. Right. This is really that kind of the idea of the book. Um, but it talks about mother culture and all the things that we're programmed with our own mythology that we don't even think about half the time that we believe. Um, and so anyway, if you haven't yet read that book, it's just sort of a segue into like all these different conversations. Uh, so for I, I want to give a shout out to that real quick. The second book of the series, Story of B, has an appendix in the back was a lecture that the character gives earlier in the book called The Boiling Frog. And there's you can read the by Daniel Quinn's Boiling Frog lecture is online. And I suggest okay. people read it. And he measures the time of development and the doubling of population. And it halves. It's like a million years we double our population 500,000 years. We double our population. Then it's like a hundred years. We double our population. Yep. And it's a very fascinating read into the structures that we take for granted, like um, uh, the, the constructs of war, which is politics or having mm -hmm. Kings or leaders or having, uh, you know, specialized uh, casts of bakers and bread makers and stuff. And then into the, the, the structures of war, the structures of crime, the structure, the idea that people need to be housed up in asylums, the idea of crime and stuff like that is very different now than it was a thousand, two thousand, three thousand, five thousand, ten thousand years ago. And he charts the doubling of population and the different expressions of society reacting to overpopulation areas, which is uh, drugs, crime, escapism, religion, the idea that something yes. will magically save us one day. It's a very fascinating read. I suggest yeah. everybody read. Very cool. I, 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 no, I do like this. I, Sorry, there's a lot of things going on in my head now just in this conversation. <laughs> but I, I, I do think 
everything in and again you know i i'm not going to try to be that person who veers into toxic positivity necessarily but i do think <laughs> that that in in the sense of any of those different possibilities right whether you're looking at you know humans overpopulating the planet and polluting to the point that we destroy our planet or you know you know getting into that sort of digital consciousness sort of situation storing your mind or what have you any whatever is whatever you give your attention to is what is going to develop in your reality right the things that you give your attention to is what builds what is your reality ex- mm-hmm. essentially and so i i do think that when it comes to all those different concepts and i think a lot of people go into the fearful right again as humans we tend mm-hmm. to be very encouraged in fear in in the the doomsday kind of aspect in and trying i think that we overthink it a lot and if you kind of you 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 have to sort of have a little bit of a trust in nature i guess essentially that you know yes a jellyfish is going to think that the world came from jellyfish but the jellyfish still operates within its own ecosystem and it that balances itself right? right and and within humanity as much as we continue to find ways to increase our population and, and sort of increase our longevity and our, and our, you know, capacities to continue to exist in this physical realm. Right. We, th- there, there is always an element of nature balancing itself. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that we do very much overthink things and, and we get so caught up in we have to fix this, that, or the other, you know, pollution or, or whatever the, the global circumstance is and really i i think what happens is like we get so caught up in the noise of what the issues are right this is mm-hmm. a problem this is a problem this is a problem this is going to end humanity this is going to destroy our planet this is going to it's war it's pollution it's what it's whatever it is i i think that that is again why people are are so looking outside of the mainstream anymore because it has become so much noise if you could cut through that noise, someone out there has a brilliant idea right. for solving all of the problems that are someone out because that is the balance of nature. And we as humans, as, as the conscious, self-reflective beings that we are, know, you know, like we have the capacity to see these problems outside of just the survival mode that the animal kingdom sees them as. We also have the capacity to come up with solutions somewhere out there. There is someone who knows how to build a machine that would uh, offer up free energy so that we don't have to be continuously paying energy bills so that we could be more free in our everyday lives to follow our our highest passions. Somewhere out there, there is someone who has an idea for a biofuel so that we're not polluting. You know, there's how many different, you know, startups all over the world that are finding ways to reuse the trash from the oceans to create building materials, you know, new roofing materials, new, you know, finding ways to use the things that we are considering to be clogging up our dumps or, or the oceans or whatever, and, and repurpose them into something that can be useful. You know, it's like if, if we would allow ourselves outside of the noise, mm-hmm. we would find those voices and those people who have genuine solutions to these problems that, that are probably a lot more simple and a lot more uh, implementable than we might recognize because we're so focused on the noise instead of being focused on no, but there are so many people out there who have these brilliant ideas, you know? And, And again, just kind of coming back to that in, in the realm that's in the realm of functionality in the realm of sort of the material world of, of, you know, the everyday survival mode kind of things. But 
I, I think that there is a parallel to that in the world of creativity that it yeah. is trying to get through the noise of all the things you're told are supposed to entertain you or the formula you're supposed to be attached to, right? Into, no, find that thing that you resonate with and connect with. And, and so, you know, again, not trying to be toxic positivity over here, but <laughs> there has to be an audience for you. There has to be a way for, for anything yeah. that you're doing, for any, whatever you're creating is, whether it's writing or music or art or an entrepreneurial business, there's absolutely a place for it. There's room for everyone. There is a reason you have that idea. It's because the balance of nature dictates that there is a space for what you have to, to help balance out some other issue that there is, whether it's in a functional system in terms of like the pollution and, and, the, and that kind of thing, or whether it is in the creative realm and, and the, the sort of energetic imaginative needs that people have. Right. So I, I yeah, think that a, there's a fear paralysis, um, you know, within the, the cat catastrophe of it all, but you're right. Haley. it's like, you know, you, you know, good news and bad news, right. You're special and you're not special in the sense of like, if you feel some way, you're not the only one. <laughs> right. You know, and that, that whole share and whether it comes to the planet or whether it comes to writing, it's like, if you, you know, if the majority of people think like this, the majority of the time, like things innovate, things grow. And that's, that's essentially also what we're doing as writers. It's like, okay, the more I think about this, the more I will innovate and create towards that, towards that end. And the more people will, will group together. Like and you, minded. you can't know that yeah. your story won't be the thing that triggers that inventor person to think of how they're going to fix a problem. Like yep. it all integrates together. It all connects together. Right. That again, that's the nature of it. And, and so somewhere out there, there could be someone who has a brilliant idea hiding in their brain that if they read your book and they, they, you know, the ridiculousness of your story, something in it would trigger them to say, here's a solution to this problem that humanity has. That's so brilliant and so simple and so easy. And we could absolutely do it. You know, and again, if we could just cut through the noise, if we could just yeah. to hear those voices, yeah, I, I really do think that there, there's there is a multiverse reality we can tune into where things are more <laughs> harmonious and we do have sure. that space to follow <laughs> our highest passion and be and be not in the survival mode, but in the thriving mode. Yeah, I, I agree with all of that. I think that uh, positivity, I would rather take toxic positivity in the face yeah. of this infinite <laughs> abysmal nihilistic <laughs> despair that has been thrust upon us. But I do I do want to put a caveat on that. And that is uh, there's a great line from Half-Life 2 back in the day, which is unintended consequences. And that's the monkey paw solution that everything seems like a good forward in, uh, idea can lead to uh, syn synergistic problems that you are not accounting for. So we always have to be careful in our steps forward, but I think we do need to be taking more positive steps forward. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I mean, there's always going to be some kind of a wrench thrown into the works at some point. Right. But I, again, going back to just the idea of mindset, you can either focus on the wrench that's in the works or you can focus on, well, there has to be a way to fix it. And it, you know, always I, focus on the fix. Yeah, yeah. And I do it's I it's like I think that if you have a mindset of, of of focusing on again, just the idea that, well, there has to be an audience for me if I have this internal desire to create, that means that there has to be a counterpoint, right? Any magnet has two sides, the north and south. You can cut it in half, and that other half is going to become the opposite end of the magnet again. You can't 
there is no one-sided coin. It doesn't work that way. So, you know, whatever it is that you are creating as, as a, a creative person, there has to be the flip side of it, the market for it. It has, yep. it, it has to be there. It has to exist. And, you know, if we can do anything to help to, to get that for market, sure. yeah, to get you out there, we're certainly trying to do it for ourselves. And we're certainly trying to create a community where there there's, you can connect to the right people and find the right voices and find the right tools and resources uh, because they they are Process available. Mm -hmm, <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. I we just want to tell stories about silly little guys. Yeah. I But so do I. I just want to tell my silly little stories too. But again, yeah. you know, those silly little stories could be the inspiration for the next Albert Einstein or who knows. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I love it. Well, I, I do want to be respectful of everybody's time, so I, I, I can certainly wrap things up here. Sean, certainly appreciate you joining us for the podcast, especially. Yeah, it's nice to meet you. Um, so again, plug your upcoming book and, and where people can find you and, and, and just give a little wrap up. We'll certainly have all your links, you know, do send them to me. We'll share them in the description of the episode, but just a, a final, where can everybody find you and, and all of your work? me or yeah you yes yeah. <laughs> no you said shane i was like yeah what's shane right no shit, no sorry we already did he, he's got yeah. his own episode we already I'm did old, that i'm old news <laughs> yeah no sorry shane um, sean a little bit of so a my buddy my buddy which i don't want to disparage i totally love the guy he's great it's just money is just not his uh area of expertise uh mm -hmm. puts his stuff out at as if productions okay I don't know if that's a, I, I have to look that up. I feel bad plugging it and then not knowing the actual uh, direction. Oh, no, that's all right. You can just send it to us. We'll put the link in the description for yep. people to find. Um, are, are, do you have your stuff also listed on Amazon as like eBooks and-, and Oh, yes. Yes. I am uh, S, uh, SL Koch is what I go under there. And I usually shorten it to SLK because it just looks better aesthetically. Mm -hmm. Uh so SL Koch is on Amazon. I have whatever is released there. I give you, um, I thought I gave you a collection of my short stories. You did. Liquid Hitler. Did. And you, you totally, oh no, that's the, um, that's the novella. That's the. No. That oh, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's not do another hour of me explaining that book. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll have you on for another episode. Another time we can talk about it. I, I yeah. got to give you the uh, the shorts. I have my Fragments Volume 1, which is 13 short stories, which are all absolutely more ridiculous than the last. And uh, the next we'll be putting out Undredgeable, well, hopefully next month. Excellent. Awesome. Well, we will definitely, again, send me whatever the links that you have for people to be able to find you. We'll put that in the description. And, you know, obviously, certainly hope that we can help build your audience because that's a part of what we're here to do is is build a community of creators because, again, the resources are out there and the audience is out there. It's just a matter of getting all the pieces together for the puzzle. Yeah. Before I forget, uh, Sean, what is your, um, what does the L stand for? Cause I, my, uh, I sign SL Fisher. So I was just going to say, it's going to love that little synchronicity there. So my, my full name is technically Sean Lee Edward Koch. Okay. But, uh, S L E K spells slack and I don't want to <laughs> yeah. go by slack. So, I cut it down to SLK. But when I write a children's book, I'm going to go under Lee Edwards. So that's just. Oh, very fun. Yeah, that sounds good. There. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's just uh, Lee, which okay. is my great uncle or whatever. Okay, oh. gotcha. Mine's Lawrence. So. Oh, no, I love good. it. 
<laughs> I, that's uh, it's a fun little, the SLs. Well, we'll definitely have to have you back then for another uh, check-in podcast at some point where we can have another wonderful conversation about all the, the thousand of these. Oh, I'm sure. I, and and don't worry when we have a need for uh, content, we're going to definitely mine you. So yeah, be, be sure. prepared. I'm an information sponge and I spent my entire life just absorbing everything I can get from everything. So there's a lot of stuff in here. All right. Well, we'll keep you. You'll be definitely one of our uh, back burner kind of, Hey, we need some, we need some content. Jump on, jump on our podcast with us. Help us out. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Sean, for being here. We appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. And thank you too. Hi friends. Thank you so much for joining us for that conversation with our fellow author, Sean Koch. Again, he's got a new book out, Unjudgeable. We do have the links in the description for his books that he has available. If you want to find Shane and I, you can follow us at No Small Stories Podcast on Instagram. We do also have a Patreon if you'd like to support more episodes like this and more conversations with creatives, entrepreneurs, and people who are otherwise trying to think and live outside of the box. We have a Patreon, patreon.com slash no small stories. You can also find me on Instagram at h.overseth, and you can find Shane at inc.nell. I do also have a fictional podcast, The Adventures of Abernathy Franklin. You can find that wherever you're listening to this podcast. We thank you so much again for joining us. We do hope you'll tune in next time when we'll be talking about the fictional podcast that I write. If you are an artist, an entrepreneur, a creative, or someone who would love to have conversations with us about what it is to be a creative person in this world today, do contact us at nosmallstories at gmail.com. Or if you just want to send us a little note with feedback or to say hi, we're happy to meet new friends. Thanks all for listening. And remember, no matter how small you may start, your story is always a big deal to us. Thanks and take care.